When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So look, we're just going to jump right in. I am very excited that I get to say, so I'm, I'm going to start off by saying this. I don't think I've ever sat down with a police officer and had a, a, a I don't even say meaningful dialogue, just a dialogue. Like right. this, this is brand new for me. So uh, I very much appreciate you taking the time to sit down, but to, to start everything off, I love for you to introduce yourself because I sure. can't introduce you better than you can. And you know, you better than, <laughs> than anybody, maybe other than your wife. So uh, yeah. who are you? Yeah. So my name is Jeff Brinkley. Uh, I am the Mason city, Iowa police chief. Uh, I've been a law enforcement officer in Iowa for uh, 20 six, seven years, seven. Yeah. Yeah. I started, actually started in uh, 1995 um, at the university of Northern Iowa. I spent about uh, 14 months as a campus officer. Then I went to the Ames police department, spent about 20 there and then came to Mason city in uh, January of 2016. And so um, along the way, probably did all the things you'd expect that your average run in the middle beat cop to do. Um, Handled about a little bit of everything. Uh, worked in narcotics for a little while. Was a sergeant, a lieutenant at Ames before I came here. Wow. Uh, have been a union steward. Um, been on uh, sexual assault response team, tech team. Just jack all trades, master none is kind of a good way that I way that I would kind of describe my career. But I think I was really lucky to hit Ames at a good time, and I just had the opportunity to do stuff, and stuff looked like fun, and and this, <laughs> I could learn new things and try new things, and so that's what really wow made a lot of fun for me that's a lot that's a, that's a great that's a great resume right there so what was the transition from Ames to mason city well it was a homecoming of sorts for me so i spent my formative years as a kid in hampton and okay, so we right. moved there when i was a third grader uh i was 10 and then um i graduated <laughs> went off to college and you know kind of never looked back and um so uh somebody that I knew here in mason city called me when the chief's job opened um i didn't think i would get it um, but I, w- I wanted to get my name out there as being somebody who was interested in doing position. that. Right. Yep. Gotcha. And it seemed like a good time and a good place for me to start. And, uh, so I got the job. And so we, um, we then told the kids they were, they were, uh, upper elementary and middle school. And so mm. we didn't, we'd done a little homework on transitions and trying to do that right for our kids. And so we didn't kind of tell them till the end. And, um, I don't regret that now, but um, it certainly was a challenge with them making the move. The good part was we were closer to grandpa and grandma, okay, and we saw right. them a lot. That that makes and sense. a lot more, and so that was that was that was the the really good part. We did have to sit them down the first Christmas after we moved up here, just at break, and I just said, "Hey guys, this is home." We're not going back to Ames, and you need to treat this life like that. Right. And they both picked up, doubled down, and we haven't had uh, a lot of problems since then. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, in fact, um, a couple years later, Eli 
was like, Dad, if you do take a job somewhere else, like I'm not leaving. Oh, uh, so he, I like Newman. He really enjoy. I like the opportunity that I have here. I like my classmates. I like my school, and I don't. Gotcha. I'm not going. <laughs> so he, go he got to experience this entire high, like high school yep. years. Yeah, ago. he started here as a seventh grader. Oh, yep. okay. And then Abby started as a uh, sixth grader. Yeah, and, and uh, so, so she's now right. in high school. She's a and- junior. Yep. And Eli has he's, he's at Iowa he, State. He left. He left the home. <laughs> he did. did yep. Now, was there a proud dad moment? Like, hey, he's going to my school. Like, uh, or did you ever? Did you sit him down and say, hey, these these are the only schools you can go no. to? Honestly, we've been really open with our kids about all of that. Okay. Um, you know, what do you want to do? Like, you know, my my mom and dad always told me, like, you can go be a garbage man, um, as long as you're happy. Mm-hmm. Like, do what looks like fun to you. Right. You know, like, you know, my dad was a, a blue collar guy, uh, worked for 40 years for Corn Belt Power. You know, it's um, 41 years, I think. But I, I mean, it just, you know, and that's kind of who we are as a family. We're not flashy. We're not, you know, there's not some job we got to have for status. We're not a family of anything, really. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, we're just hard workers and try to find our niche in the world. So that's it. So he's at Iowa State uh, and that's going well. Is your rivalry with with the Hawkeyes? Is does it come from going to the school, or is that just something you like? You were born and raised because my wife is from here. She's from Lake Mills, Iowa, and she yep. she's a Hawkeye fan. But in her life, she's what a year older than me. Okay. She's probably and I'm 37, so she's like 38, about to be 39. Yep. She's probably watched 12 Hawkeye games in her <laughs> life. So I don't know how how hardcore fan she yeah. is but you were in it like you yeah. were like I, is, do you bleed blue like what what is it as a, as a yeah, bleed cartel and gold yeah <laughs> yeah like like yeah. where did that come from um or- well i actually grew up a hawkeye fan my dad watched the hawks and so like steve carfino and like that whole <laughs> i mean all those guys the old hawks like that's who i grew up bobby hansen like mm-hmm. i grew up watching all those guys and so um i don't know if it was just me as a kid like I'm going to like somebody else, Dad. And I became an Iowa State fan then. I, I don't remember the how it happened, but I was an Iowa State fan all the way through high school and college. And then I, you know, went to work in Ames and yeah. it was just a natural thing yeah. then. And, but yeah, now I got a couple of de- actual, my pedigree is from there. And so <laughs> I got to defend that, right? I, my joke with my friends that never went to Iowa is like, yeah, I got the shirt at Walmart. <laughs> I'm a Hawkeye fan. You know, that that's, that's my inside joke to my inside friends. But yeah, we have a lot of laughs about that. Yeah. But I'll be honest with you, like, you know, on that game day, there's some hate. <laughs> and then after that, most of the time I'm pulling for the Hawks. So. Gotcha. Do, yep. you, do you have mostly, like, do you have family and friends that are Hawkeye, like Hawkeye fans? That oh, you, yeah. We got everybody. Yeah. 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 Not a lot of you and I fans in our circles, but I were Iowa State. Like, in, no in between. When I moved here, uh, so so I've, I've been in Mason City or North Iowa twice. <laughs> okay. um, I'm not crazy about it, but that's another story for another time. Sure. But the first time I moved here was uh, at the fall or winter of 2007. I okay. got a job at Southbridge working for a sneaker company. And we used to get a bunch of Hawkeye stuff and a bunch of Cyclone stuff. And I would ask the customers, like, who should I be a fan of? And um, we had more Hawkeye stuff oh, yeah. than Cyclones. But the Cyclone fans were like, die hard. And I, I just... I didn't understand that, uh, but I'm from I'm from Detroit, so I'm a Michigan State guy. Oh yeah, and even though Michigan is better, and I, you know, we may edit that out, <laughs> <laughs> but like it just it comes from like this is my team. Yeah, and uh, I stick to it. So yeah, and I think for me, there's a little bit of that underdog yeah. bit of yeah, maybe that you is know, trying to trying to prove it. That, that, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what. 
I root for the underdog. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. yeah. I'm also a Baltimore Orioles fan, and we're perennial losers. So I don't know. Maybe I just don't pick them well. I, I grew up a Lions fan. Oh, yeah. And, and they're terrible. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, but now I, I now switch to the New York Jets, and that's oh, yeah. my team. Okay. And I know they're not, they're not that much better. But you know, it's it's just it's something about rooting for a team, right. and I think I think yeah. you're, I think you're onto something about that underdog thing. So, yep. okay, so you um so you've been in Iowa yeah, essentially whole your whole life, right? Uh, so what is now your relationship with this place? Because as I as I mentioned, I go back and forth, and I said yep. this on the last episode, like. I'm not crazy about Iowa specifically, North Iowa, but I've been flourishing, sir. Like I've been doing some incredible things here and my career has definitely been at the highest from being here. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of love there. You know, again, I met my wife here and we had our kids here and yada, yada, yada. So I have a, I won't say love and hate, but there are some things that I absolutely love about this place, but there's some challenges. Yeah. What is your relationship and, and, and not necessarily, you know, from your profession, just your right. your personal relationship. Right. Yeah, I think uh, my I think my roots are really here. Like um, agriculture, I think the older I get, the more appreciative I become of my environment, the place where I live. Right, like I especially after like post COVID and what's going on in cities and education systems, and I'm just like oh, I'm glad I live in a little town and. I know a lot of people, a lot of people know me and my kids aren't going to get away with anything, not just because I'm a cop, but just because like people know them, they're going to call them out, you know, and, and all those things that you think about. And so I think, and then, you know, I really, you know, coming home, honestly, coming back to Mason City was a huge deal for us. My mom got diagnosed with uh, breast cancer, uh, bilateral breast cancer in uh, the first year we were back. Oh, wow. And so for us to be able to be here a, um, a little mm-hmm. bit was, was so nice. Um, you know, mom and dad are half an hour. They're only an hour away before but Ames just wasn't a direction they traveled a lot. And so for us to be uh, here, you know, my brother's out of state, my sister's in state. Um, it's just nice to be close to family. Uh, as gotcha. I get older, I appreciate that more too. And gotcha. so that could all change when my kids both get off and he like gets into the Air Force and Lord knows where he's going. Yeah, so and I don't know what Abby's going to do. See, so that's what I was wondering. Um, yeah. One, you know, you you have a daughter that's you know, a couple of years once she's out. Yep. Like, yep. Are, do you guys have talks about, okay, here's here's our new plan. Let's, let's, let's get out of here. Let's do something different. Like, do you have a... Yeah. Okay, when when all the what do you call it the birds out of the nest? Like when yeah, everybody's gone, nest, here's what we're gonna do. do you, yeah. Is there a plan that you we're talking about that right now? Okay. Yeah, we're uh, we're downsizing first. <laughs> okay. um, uh, like, I don't need a big house. Like I I, I did, but I won't. Gotcha. Uh, and so yeah, so we're gonna we'll definitely downsize. I think we right now plan to stay in the area. Um, maybe something over at Clear Lake. I don't know. We're just kind of we're we aren't super uncertain. But I think we'll spend three or four months a year where it's not so darn cold. <laughs> um, I think working in it, living in it, you know, you just got to get away from it. And I think I even like Southern Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, somewhere in that. It doesn't have to be Florida. Like it doesn't have to be next to the water. It's just got to be not freezing cold. <laughs> I'm that's with you. It. I, 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 I was in Arizona for six years and I, oh, yeah. I miss it all so much. It was yep. uh, some of the best times, <laughs> some of the best times of my life. And don't get me wrong. It gets insanely hot there. Right. But right. Ah, I miss it. So, yeah. um, yeah. Any advice? So, well, let me ask you two, two things. Um, how, what kind of dad are you? Like, are you a are you a strict dad? Do you do you let them get away with stuff? Are you a little bit more like, okay, I have a daughter, so she gets away with more. Like, what kind of dad are you? I'm a strict dad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, my my kids would probably give you two different versions of that. I think my kids are so different. 
Um, and as uh, Abby gets older, I find out they're more the same in terms of the the things that they do as older teenagers, maybe than as younger kids. But um, no, I, they would tell you I'm a strict dad, um, and they would give you different reasons for liking or disliking that. Um, <laughs> it's certainly for Eli that structure worked out for him. I mean, we right, right. and you know we had a lot of things in common, um, sports and those kinds of things. Like I we we turned him between his uh, freshman and sophomore year of high school, turned him into a third baseman um, kind of accidentally, but we needed one. And uh, so we went and he probably took 20,000 balls all over, through the winter off a fungal bat that I hit at him. And we just, we just did that. That was our wow. thing. And so we had a lot of bond around sports um, and I haven't always had that with Abby. And so our relationship is just different. I think I read a story the other day on a book that came out and talks about the, the role of a dad mm-hmm. in play with your children. Mm. And I, I think what I'm realizing is that I didn't play as much or I played differently with my kids um, just because of their interests and my interests. Yeah. And one aligned more with me and one didn't. Gotcha. <clears throat> and and maybe now I'm going to reap a little bit of those uh, benefits or costs of that, you know, um, I think as my kids get older. But um, I think they would tell you that I'm that I'm fair. I'm pretty consistent. <laughs> okay. But, but um, yeah, I got high expectations. Hey, I get that. Is that fair? Absolutely. <laughs> I uh, so, don't talk to them next week on your podcast. <laughs> so uh, maybe this is the experience that you had. So I have I have three, and I'm done. Like I'm I've, I'm snipped. I've retired. Uh, my yep. oldest is is terrible at sports. <laughs> so uh, my my expectation is like, hey, do whatever you want to do. And he's super artsy. Like he can draw, oh, he can yeah. he can do uh, animations. Like he can do things I cannot do. And I'm like, bravo, son. The middle child is probably the most like me, but okay. he's also the baddest. And I I wasn't a bad kid, but this kid is so wild. Your number 2. <laughs> They're so wild. Yeah. And, and then I have my daughter and she's she's the baby and she's kind of running things. If I can be honest with you. Um all of my kids, you know, they're 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 babies. Mm-hmm. Like do uh any advice you would have for you know a, a dad that you know you're you're on the back end of it now yeah, like these right. these kids are almost out of uh school for the most part any advice you would have or do you even remember those early days when they were uh babies because what, what's the age what's the age difference yeah, eli's 19 abby's uh 16 okay so yeah. relatively in the same yeah. uh so yeah what was those early days like oh, or I, advice that you would give for like these new generation yeah. of fathers. I miss the uh, I miss the sitting in the recliner with them laying on my chest. Oh yeah, when they go to sleep and we take a nap, <laughs> and we're just there. You know, like those are the best days ever. Um, and you can't get too many of those because they don't last very long. But I think, um, you know, I think I don't know. My best advice would be uh, to be more patient. Uh, if you're not <laughs> work really hard at that. Cause I think, uh, I know that my words destroy relationships in my house mm, sometimes mm. with, without a lot of thought to me, because that's how it got handed down to me. Right. But we're different today. We know better. Uh, I think, um, I could definitely do a better job in trying to, um, talk through that, um, mm-hmm. and at least foster the conversation. My wife is much better at that. Um, and probably has a closer relationship with our kids in, in that, area of their lives in terms of what's going on in their lives and those kinds of things. But I think um, overall, we still get along well, but I think mm-hmm. they would just say, I'd rather talk to mom sometimes <laughs> or when the chips are down, dad's got to deal with it, you know? Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But spend the time. And your wife, Lisa, Lisa, how yep. long have you been married? 
uh 22 years wow okay so yeah. so like, let's let's go back you you start this new job this new profession yep and then you you get married, married a couple after. years so yep so how long like so you got you've been married for 22 let's years see, does yeah. she know you she never knew me as not a cop okay yep which i also think is really important to police marriage so that, that's what i was, I was yeah great question <laughs> and i think it's i think it's i think it's hard if you start the field after the marriage starts. Yeah. i just think that we make a lot but, of demands. Yeah, like, of no, people. you were at you were at you know the grocery store as a manager. Now you do right. arresting people. Time out. You know, let right? Me, I need oh, time to catch different. up. Yeah, yeah, but no, I was a I was an officer. Um, we got introduced by some mutual friends um, at their high school da- their daughter's high school graduation, and uh, we went on a date the next week and been together ever since. So wow, just how it worked out. So well, yeah. congratulations. Thanks. That's yeah, dope. no, it's been good. Uh, okay, so uh, let's let, let's go to some of the questions that I have. Yeah. What what would you say uh, if you can remember? And again, these are these are years. I'm 37, so you've been a, you've been a police officer more than half my life, right? Uh, best day in the job, worst day on the job. What do those look like or feel like? Yeah, I think best days on the job, and they they don't come around that often. When you get a genuine thank you, mm. um, or you know that you somebody lets you know how you impacted them, and. Uh, I've had a handful of those. The one that's most memorable actually for me is actually happened after I got here. I got an email out of the blue one day from a woman uh, down in central Iowa who is now married to a guy I pulled out of a burning car in 2007 and who at the time was a, uh, was an addict uh, um, using had actually caused his accident. Uh, And she just called, wrote me a, a nice email to say, thanks for doing that. I know it took a while for him to get, better Mm -hmm. uh but he is and we're now happily married and none of this would have been possible if that hadn't happened so that so that was probably that's probably the most memorable one i think um the hardest days on the job i think a lot of people get into public safety and they never you only think about the good right you never think about the bad right and i think um for me the hardest days have been um and it took uh 17 or 18 years for it to happen 16, 17 years before it happened, but it's when you got to go deliver bad news to people you know and people Ooh. you care about. And uh, that happened for me. I was on a, uh, my first one was, a, or the worst one is uh, I responded to a medical call of an infant not breathing um, who was about a year old. I uh, got out to this house, recognized the people that live there. It was his daycare, but I, I knew them too. Um, you live in a place long enough and you get to know everybody, right? right. And uh, went in and uh, we're doing CPR on this little baby that really looks familiar to me, but I just, you know, babies change a lot right. kind of quickly. And I hadn't seen him for a while. And uh, we load him up, ambulance gets there. I carry him out and I hand him off to the medics and he's still not breathing on his own. And um, I get ready to leave. My the sergeant that's working for me that day shows up and I said, Hey, you pin down the house, hold the scene. I'm gonna go to the hospital. We'll figure out who the parents are. And she just looks at me with this really dumb look. She already knew who it was and I didn't. And she kind of looks at me like, okay. And so I hop in the car, start following the ambulance, and uh, she calls me, and she's like, hey, do you know who that is? And I said, well, I should, but I don't. She goes, that's Kale. And it was our third coworker, my other sergeant's uh, infant son. He was almost one. And uh, I was like, oh, like it just gut punched me. And uh, so I got a hold of the chief. Um, I said, find his dad and just get him to the hospital because this isn't good. Uh, we got to the hospital. Um, ambulance backs in and they're still working him all the way. And so I knew that they hadn't gotten him back. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I walked into the family room and, and Derek was in there and he's like, just, just 
tell me what you got. And, and I just told him, I said, I don't think he's going to make it. Like mm. it's, it's bad. Um, and so I walked him in and there's just no day at the police Academy where anybody trains you to give your friends that kind of news. And then right. Derek and Don are, are good friends of ours. We're good friends of ours then. And, and like we knew their entire family. So I you know, called Derek's folks and Don's folks and just delivered that news and it was just that was just a terrible terrible day but yeah it's when you gotta give bad news to people especially when you need everything right, right. like I, my hardest part of that day was we were kind of we thought we were in all the uh the appropriate timelines for intervention right, you right, know cpr right, right. Yeah, yeah. those kinds of things and we just there was just no way to change the outcome and mm-hmm. you know you go do that sometimes for people that you don't know and Sometimes, frankly, if I'm honest, you're ungrateful that they made it yeah. uh, because they're a pain in your butt sometimes at work. But, you know, you go do it and you mm-hmm. do your best every day. And it just it was really hard for me to get over that. We did our best that day for somebody we really cared about, we really loved. And it, that wasn't enough. And we wow. couldn't change that outcome. So, that's, uh, yeah, that's incredibly heavy. And uh, yeah, it was a hard day. It took me a long time to get over that. What uh, like so how do you decompress? Like what, you know? I know you don't have that many quote unquote days off or right. like traditional right. days off yeah. where you can really just be yeah. like, you know, put the phone right. down. Like what, what do you do? Uh, that's not, you know, related to being a cop. Like, do you yeah. have, like you have, do you have a TV show that you like to binge <laughs> or, uh, you know, do you watch sports on Sunday? Like what, yeah. what's the thing that you do to kind of, uh, basically take a break from, you know, all the other things that you have to do in your, you know, profession. Yeah. So I, I work out, um, exercise is really good for me. Um, it also gives me a different, it gives me gym friends and people that are not cops, you know, mm-hmm. that also super, super important for law enforcement. Uh, you gotta have some hobbies. You gotta, the, I like to hunt. I like to fish and yeah. spend time outside. And so if I can get on my bike or, you know, those different kinds of things are, are ways that I like break the, the monotony yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. of what I do every day, you know, <laughs> just to, just to do something different. And then, uh, when we can travel for me right now, just, um, since I've been here in Mace City, like I don't get to get away from work unless I'm out of town because right. it, it doesn't matter. And it, it's this way for a lot of our folks, just because we're a small community and we're pretty well known in our town. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you go to church, the grocery store, the post office, Walmart, wherever mm-hmm. you run into somebody, it's, Hey, what's going on at work? And you always <laughs> end up talking about work. <laughs> like you just, even, even when you try not to, it happens. And so it's, you got to get out. You got to get away. So you have, you have a picture of a friend on, on Facebook. She took a picture of you and she said, Hey, I'm with the local celebrity uh, <laughs> uh yeah. like does that happen a lot like do, are, are, can, is it fair to say you are kind of the you know the face of of the of, you know mississippi pd and you're that guy and so when you are out people want to you know have a conversation or they want to take a picture like is that does that happen all the time um it doesn't happen very often that one was at ragbri <laughs> and that was uh and we hadn't seen each other we had kids the same age uh at gilbert schools Gotcha. And her son and my son graduated this year together, or would have graduated together. And uh, so I just hadn't seen her, but she was like, we haven't seen each other for like five years. I'm like, I know. So she's like, let's get a picture. And so, but but no, people do. Um, I'm recognizable in the community, I think. Um, and I get that that goes with the role. I don't I don't have any heartburn with that. It's just, but sometimes it's hard to get away from work. And every now and then, it, um, it again, it impacts my kids or my family. Like we were, I walked into Hy-Vee two or three years ago and there was a mental health consumer in there that we'd had some interaction with and as soon as she saw me she starts yelling at me in the produce section and i looked at my kids i'm like just 
head off. I'll, I'll find you. And so I, it took me a minute to get her to kind of, people are looking like, Syria, wow, I, I, yeah. no, like, like, yeah, like I literally sorry. walked in, pushing a cart and she, and people are kind of looking at her and looking at me like, what'd you do? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I, I didn't do anything other than just show up. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, uh, so she kind of let it all out. We got it over and I walked off and we were good, but, uh, yeah, you just never know. And, and sometimes my kids are like, who is that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just somebody yeah. that knows what I do. And Fruit they want to like, give I me don't... two cents or ask me a question or, Oh, okay. All right. Wow. So, yeah. So yeah, it's, but it's, yeah, it just, it goes with the job though. I get yeah. that part. Um, I, I definitely want to say this. Uh, so Ragbri was, it was a huge, uh, huge event for, yeah. for so many people. I mean, you guys in a, in a, like a tremendous job of, well, you know what? I mean, I'm going I'm to speak from my perspective. I don't really think I know all of the things that you guys did. I remember sitting in some meetings and I, you know, I had the opportunity to host the, um, yep. the main stage. And I, I just thought for how smooth it all went, I'm like, yeah. is it supposed to be this smooth? <laughs> People were like, it's not normally this. It doesn't normally go that way. Can you share just some of the little things? Cause sure. I mean, from the communication, from, uh, the routes that you guys did. Uh, I was just kind of blown away because I'm I'm one of those people that have been here for a while and I didn't really know what Ragbriar was. I didn't know it was this massive event. And I tried to explain it to people. It's kind of like when you're in a city and the Super Bowl comes to town right. because yeah. it's like, it's yeah. all hands on deck. But you guys really went above and beyond. And uh, I just saw some of it and I know there's so much that didn't get shown or maybe didn't get explained. But can you just share a little bit of yeah. the things that you guys did and how you guys pulled that off? Because, you know, shout out to the Mason City team and the Chamber of Commerce. Like they, oh, yeah. I was very yeah. much like, wow, yep. by it all. But, yep. you know, you guys played a huge role in that as well. Yeah, thanks. Um, we well, it starts with early planning. <laughs> um, you know, we found out in uh, was it January, January. that we said it was going to be an overnight town, but we didn't actually get the routes until into February. Oh, because okay. um, the DOT has their service work they're doing every summer mm. over in Hancock County. They actually rode people down a gravel trail, made a temporary bridge, and then they had to ride out on a gravel trail. But it saved them two or three miles on a hundred mile day. Oh, like that was a big deal, you know. And so it's all those little things that got to happen before we can plan for what's happening in Mesa City, right? And so um, once we got the route down, it was a matter of trying to figure it out. And then honestly, it's everybody that stepped up that that makes it work. But from our side, on the public safety side, it was traffic control coming in is a huge deal just because we can't have bikes and cars mixed because bad things are going to happen, right? And it was a 100-mile day. We knew that. And we were expecting the ride to be really strung out that day just because of the distance and people's differing abilities to ride a bike. And so um, we, we, we planned pretty well for that. That went. Um, at the end of the day, that couldn't have gone better. They had tailwind the whole way. The weather was beautiful. Like it could it not have gone how it better. All came together. Was, yeah. And so that part was really a non-issue. The other thing that was really concerning for me actually was downtown. Just that number of people. We were expecting twenty thousand riders plus another five or ten thousand people. Right. You know, at some point, possibly all downtown mm-hmm. at one time. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh boy, how's this going to go? <laughs> and we had some history in Mason City of. Some disorderly conduct at previous rag rise. We've These had a lot of, that I've heard. lot of bike thefts, you know, those kinds oh, of things. Wow. And so those were the other things that are rolling around in my head when we're gone the next day. I don't want people to go, oh, man, Mason City was awesome, except for right. fill in the blank, right? right? Like right. my bike got stolen or this happened or that <laughs> yeah. happened. And so um, the other thing that was happening is, you know, we're in a hiring crisis in law enforcement right now. And we're down a bunch of cops and I couldn't find cops to work. And so I ended up staffing downtown with about 60% of the officers that we had in 2014. 
And I was super nervous. So that, is that like the NFL where you're like, hey, you're like a guy's just sitting on his couch. Can you come yeah, and right. play this game? To- yes. Okay, that was that's it. crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. So no, we brought in officers <laughs> from uh, 11 different jurisdictions as far away as Cedar Falls. And, but it's really cool because like we never get to work with these guys. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, that day of is really pretty fun. And so we had a, a, a great event we had a supervisor who did a great job of organizing how we kind of move people through downtown in on our side and so i think it looked like it gave the perception of people that there were officers everywhere and we also um we flew a drone downtown the whole time i think a lot of people got a chance to lay eyes on that yeah. like you know we certainly wanted people to know like we're, we're paying attention here yes. right and so even though we might not have a cop on every corner mm-hmm. you know we're we're making sure we got everything's pretty well covered and i think the other thing that was just to also calm the community down calm down anybody that was worried about this being a big event hey we got eyes on this thing and uh what a lot of people probably didn't know is we had a uh tactical team react team sitting all day nice. just ready to so go things went south <laughs> yeah i mean you think about some of the things you heard about you know the parades this spring oh, you know yeah, or yeah, there yeah. were shootings and different yeah. kinds of things. i mean you know we were that's what we're kind of what if and is mm-hmm. if something happened here what would it be would it would it be an active shooter would it be mm-hmm. somebody driving a car through a barricade would it be you know what is it that's going to impact public safety where somebody's trying to make a name for themselves so, as as a comedian with what happened at the Oscars, <laughs> if someone right. was to run up on stage, would someone fall down from the sky and tackle him? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> All right, but uh, those t-shirt guys working on the stage were, were trained up, so you were in good hands that right, night. That's good to know. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, another question I had, um, and this, this one was for me. So I, I I put it out. Maybe I shouldn't have. I put it out on Facebook. Like, hey, you guys have some questions, and then I got a lot of questions. I'm like, uh, let's let's filter through some of these because sure. uh, I thought some of them were a little uh, overboard. And I think what's what's important when we have these opportunities to have these types of dialogues is that they're productive and you learn stuff. So right. uh, this was just one from from me that that I, I wanted to ask. Like, how do we build a positive relationship between law enforcement and the community? Because Community can have a lot of different, I don't know, pockets. Like there can be like your your black community, your people of color, your age. Like there, there's so many. But as, as a collective group, how, like how do we? Uh, and I know there's there's a part that both sides need to play. Right. Like what what is your you know expectations uh, of how we can start to do that or or, or strengthen it? You know mm-hmm. because it it definitely exists. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think um, the at the core of that is really that um, we are only half of the equation, and I think uh, the other half is the community. So we don't we you know we're there with the approval of the community, right? Like like we get feedback about things that we do, maybe programs that we run or. Um, you know, things that our officers are engaged in sometimes that people don't like. It could be writing seatbelt tickets or writing speed tickets outside <laughs> elementary schools the week before school starts, right? Like, like we get feedback from the community about some of those different kinds of things. But I think we also expect our community to 
to support us, but also give us that feedback about, I like this, I don't like mm-hmm. this. You know, there's different kinds of things we'll enforce or not enforce. Um, and so I think there's different ways, you know, we can do that through tax money, obviously through the council. So there's representation there, but I, I also think it's nice for us to be out in the neighborhood and, you know, it, we pick up information. We can just be out there, whether it's walking on the street doing a neighborhood canvas or, um, at a park shooting baskets with some kids. I mean, you just never know who you're going to meet yeah. that changes things. But I also expect our officers to lead um, in terms of tolerance and and understanding and explaining and those kinds of things. So when somebody comes to the community who maybe comes here from somewhere else and it's four o'clock in the morning and they're blaring their rock music and we get the noise complaint, we got knocking the door and the person's like, hey, I did that where I came from. Well, yeah, that's not really what people do here. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like like you, you play rock music. Like nobody's yeah. any problem with that, yeah. but you just can't play it super loud at four o'clock, four o'clock yeah. in the morning. Yeah. You know, and so I think explaining some of those community norms, kind of the kind of the the who the community is, and then but also being willing to understand that there might be a different perspective about that. Hey, I'm getting ready to go to work at six o'clock in the morning, so I'm up at four, and I need a little music to get me going, or you know, whatever that situation is. I think as you as we try to play through that, we try to make sure our officers are are good at explaining that to people and understanding that perspective, but also kind of sharing mm-hmm. what the community expects our citizens to do as well. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, um, this isn't on my list of questions, but like you were saying, there's kind of a, a, a word I can't think of, of, of officers. So say I wanted to be like a police officer, like sure. what, what's that process? Like, you know, like you want to work at Best Buy, you go get an application. You yeah. like, what's, what's that process of someone that is uh, interested, want to go through the steps of, of becoming an officer? Yep. I think um, reach out to us. I mean, yeah. we're, I think, you know, it's that, it, the the fit is probably the biggest thing. Like, okay. I, I want to make sure that the right you understand what we do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what our expectations are going to be of you. Because I think that um, working, it doesn't matter, fill in the community, Ames, Mason City, Des Moines, Ankeny, you know, Decorah, it doesn't matter. It, it kind of depends on what, what's the community's function, what, what's mm-hmm. the law enforcement agency function there, and then is it something you're going to be comfortable with working Mm-hmm. at our shop, right? Uh, so I think getting you in for a ride along or anybody who would be interested in taking that, taking that jump, come in and spend a shift riding with us. I want oh. you to go see what the officers do. Now, is that something that you offer to people or only people that are interested or is that no, something like we can commu- do that like, for community? Like I, I would love to like, is it like a ride along yeah. or yep. Like- yep. And we'll, and depending on the officer that you're with that they'll kind of set the, the rules for uh, like when you should stay in or not, or get out of the car, um, kind of depending on what we're going on. We do got some rules. You can't go on pursuits. You can't right. go on like deadly force situations. So yeah, we got to protect you too. Right. Um, but um, you know, I think it's really important to, to kind of get a peek behind the curtain. I would, I would love see, a peek behind the curtain. Yeah. Because I, I think one of the big misconceptions that maybe you deal with is people don't always understand exactly what it is that police officers do right. for the community on a day-to-day basis. Like, yep. it's probably like, oh, you guys, you know, ride around and give people tickets and stuff like that. But it, it would probably amaze people if they would get an opportunity to see that. I think that's probably maybe one of the biggest uh, disconnects is that right. we don't know everything that you you guys go through. And if there was a way to kind of share, and I know you can't share everything, right. but I think that right. would that would uh, move us forward. So uh, shout out to Joe Malone real quick, because I don't think I give him any love on these special episodes that I've been doing. We're in his basement, and he's, <laughs> he's, he's making this all happen. But he, he, from time to time, hands me questions, and this is a uh, <laughs> best way to get out of a ticket. <laughs> so the the if you can make me laugh usually when i come up to your car like you got a chance right like you're a committee and you appreciate this oh, right yeah. 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah. So probably the, the most memorable one in my career was when I was a rookie cop. I was working over at UNI and I stopped this carload of girls, um, coming off campus for running a red light. And I got up to the car window and explained who I was and why I stopped him. I said, what was going on there? She goes, well, I think the light was a little pink. <laughs> And I started laughing. I'm like, I've never heard that one before. I said, you get credit for creativity. She left with a warning. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, you know, make me laugh. You know, let, understand that, you know, I'm human too. And, you know, I, I think we can go a long ways doing that. All right. So, uh, well, we'll, we'll finish it out with some of these questions that I sure. got. That I, I thought uh, there, there were some that I thought were pretty, pretty great. So, um, the first one is, how is PD, PTSD being handled after an officer goes through a traumatic event? Yeah, so we can, um, we keep pretty close eye on our people. Um, you know, we do have some of those threshold events that happen here periodically where we'll do a critical incident stress management debriefing afterwards. So mm -hmm. that's all the first responders. So dispatchers, fire, police, ambulance, um, anybody else that was there who was part of the initial response. And that, that debrief is just a chance for everybody to talk through kind of what happened. It's not meant to be a, um, uh, hot wash or an after action critique. Like it's just, this is, this is how it played out. And I think the cool part about the CISM process is when you're done, you gain information that you didn't know. you can be like, Oh, that happened because Joe did that. That happened because Day did that. Oh, I did that. Oh, now I get how those pieces kind of fit together. And so maybe I'm thinking, well, I screwed up yesterday and maybe this would have been different. But then once you get all the information, you're kind of like, all right. And usually it kind of calms people down, gives people a chance to talk through it. And that that's usually a pretty good tool for sorting some of that out. But it also can give you some some alerts for people that aren't doing so good. And then we we kind of keep an eye on them. To be completely transparent here, um, I told you about Kale a little bit ago. Um, that one took me a while to get over. Um, I ended up, um, I lost a coworker to an accidental um, line of duty death in 2015, or sorry, in 2012, a year after Kale died. And I didn't realize I was carrying that with me until I got to police week in 2015 um, mm -hmm. out in Washington, D.C. Um, I was chosen to be his family's escort officer for the for the ceremony out in Washington, D.C. So a very high honor for me yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to be able to carry on Howard's legacy and yeah. take Robin and the kids to the to the ceremony. And and uh, part of the requirements for me that week were to sit through a debriefing. Oh, okay. Uh, hosted by cops in Washington, D.C. And I got signed to an accidental death group and I went. And so uh, as we're doing this debriefing, we're going around the room. Everybody's kind of telling their story and people would talk about something and be like, ah, oh, sometimes I feel like that. And then the next person would talk and I'd be like, ah, oh, sometimes I feel like that. And he got around to me and I kind of did my part and we wrapped up and the, the, the guy that was handling our group came over. He said, Hey, he goes, you doing all right? I'm like, Meh. yeah, you know, I feel like I'm doing all right. You know, like, I'm here at police week like everybody else is because we lost somebody. You know, like, how good do you do that yeah. week? And he goes, no, I get it. But he goes, you sure, you sure you're doing all right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, here's my card. He goes, you should stop over and see the marshal service before you leave today. And uh, the U.S. Marshal Service, to their credit, every year during police week, hauls their entire counseling staff to Washington, D.C. Mm. And they're there for survivors, families, those mm -hmm. people that need, you know, some support in those times. So I went over there and... uh Made an appointment and uh, sat down. There happened to be somebody that could take a walk in. And so I went in. I started talking to her. And I finally just got it all out. It. I was there for about two and a half hours. I texted Lisa. I'm like, hey, uh, I'm going to be a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I got hung up at the hotel. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Because we had several friends that we were out there with okay, to, to yeah, see yeah. Howard's name get put on the wall and stuff. And so so she's like, all right. And uh, it. I was there for about two, two and a half hours. And just finally kind of worked through. Like mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I'd been carrying kind of all that for as long as I had. And so... um. About two and a half hours later, we kind of 
got to the end of it, they, I was going to be fine. I wasn't thinking about hurting myself or anything like that, but it was, I needed to talk to somebody. And, uh, so they made an appointment for me. They said, have you ever tried, um, EMDR mm-hmm. and it's eye movement desensitization and something else. It's mm-hmm. a big scientific term, but it's basically what happened is I was working nights at the time and I was sleeping maybe four to six hours a day, mm. which isn't good for you. Uh, but it's the life I was living. We got family and kids and work and, you know, it's uh-huh. all got to happen. And, but I was not processing things well in my sleep because I wasn't getting enough of it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. during rapid eye movement sleep, your your body naturally kind of handles some of those heavy events and things like that. And basically, as I understand it, your brain's like a giant filing cabinet. Yes. And it puts <laughs> those things in the right file when you get the right amount of sleep. But when you don't get the right amount of sleep or you don't have enough time, stuff gets misfiled. You can't find it again or it shows up at the wrong time. Right. And so for the longest time, I had a – my last image of Kale was his – kind of lifeless body that I'm holding as I'm carrying out to the ambulance. And for Howard, it was seeing his body in his casket the first time um, after he died. Um, But we were able to, using that technique, to to fix that for me. Mm. And it was Mm -hmm. just a a huge, huge – um, opportunity for me to to yeah. deal with some things before they yeah. got worse, and it really has been a good thing for me. And so I think we really try to we have officers every now and then that we refer to different kinds of programs who come in. Hey, I got this going on, or I need a hand with this, or or if we have a bad incident, you know, we'll do the CISM debrief, but we'll follow up with them a couple of days later. Yeah, you're doing all right. Yeah. You're not doing all right, and then try to get them plugged in with somebody who's um who gets what we do in public safety because you, you can't just go to a family therapist and think this is going to go well. Like you, it helps if you have somebody who understands the, the stresses of public right. safety. I get that. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, what is the protocol on racism in the workplace? Um, so at the, that would be like if we get a complaint that an officer is racist or, yeah, I, I'm gonna go or with responding I'm, to. I'm that. gonna go with that, but yeah, that, that's yeah. that's kind of what I was thinking. Okay, okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so first we try to screen out, obviously. So um, we do. So our process to get hired, you do an MMPI. We use a, a tool called the Critical Hire Screening, mm-hmm. and so we're looking for themes in like the the interview, the MMPI, the polygraph, and then the, um, anything else that we do to that's gonna pick up on those kinds of things. We also go back and do social media screen. Uh, for it's a nice. seven or eight year back screen, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, we pay a company that just uses AI and they do that. And oh, so, okay, great. like, if somebody's got questionable stuff out there, we're going to get a hold of it. Gotcha. And then we can dive into that. <laughs> uh-huh. And and I'll tell you, they're not going to get hired with us if we're seeing that. But you know, the other thing that's interesting is sometimes I think people don't think about the things that they post either. Like I had a I had an employee I talked to once who had a, just a he was out hunting. He shot a coyote, had his rifle and his coyote. Um, in the picture with him and, and his flagged on a search that we did on something. I'm like, Hey, just so you know. And he goes, Oh, I never even like, it just never crossed his mind. Like, Hey, look what I did. Yeah. You know, like this is my trusty rifle. Look what we <laughs> yeah. did. But you know, just like, just thinking about kind of what that looks like. Or sometimes that stuff will hit on like, if you, it, you know, it's not like you're drunk with your six frat buddies at a football game next Saturday. You know, it's, it's, you got to picture of like a, a table that has a really nice meal on it. There's a bottle of wine, so it'll flag for alcohol. Oh. And you're like, oh, no, 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 that, that alcohol is okay. Now, the frat buddies, we got to talk about that. <laughs> like, you know, like, but it, it's that kind of stuff. Like, what do we see out of you? Who are you as gotcha. a person? And that's stuff we're looking to. So the overt racism part, this is a great question. I can't think of the term now mm-hmm. either for when somebody calls the police on somebody that doesn't fit in their neighborhood because of their appearance. What, you, Being what, a Karen. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, but there's, a, there's another term for it. I can't yeah. remember. There's a, uh, I can't think of it. But, but we do respond to that. So yeah. we'll, get, we'll get a call about somebody. Well, there's a person of color in my neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, and that's the complaint. Yeah. And so our, I think our officers doing it's, – it's, it 
just blows me away first that we get the call. Yeah. Um, it's 2022 folks like, you know, um, but when we go, I think we do a really good job of helping people to understand, like, there's nothing wrong. Appearance is, yeah. is not a criminal act. Like, like I walk down the street in a clown suit. As long as I'm just walking down the street in a clown suit, like that's okay. But it, but it, it still amazes me. And so our officers do a pretty good job of walking people through that. Hey, look, we can't, you know, we can't, we don't profile based on appearance. Yeah. It's all behavior based. Mm-hmm. That's what works about profiling, not how they look, how they act. That's the science. Yeah. And so we just got to walk people through that. But unfortunately, that does happen. But I'll tell you, it seems to be happening less. I remember two or three years ago, we'd go on four or five of these a year. Mm-hmm. And now I can't remember the last time we were on a call like that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I hope we're growing as a community. I mean, that, that, that's always the hope. <laughs> you it know, is. it's all about progress. It is. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, what drove you to choose this career path? Um, honestly, um, I love being outside, uh, which is part of it. And then uh, I had a chance to go to Boys State uh, when I was a junior in high school uh, with the American Legion and uh, just had a great time there. I got okay. picked yeah, in yeah, the Boys yeah. State Patrol and um, law enforcement policing looked like kind of an interesting career to me. Mm-hmm. And I it married my people skills to being outside and i thought well that looks like a good deal so uh, i did it yeah i started i started as an explorer at hampton uh pd years and years ago when they had an explorer post uh, they don't anymore and uh <laughs> several cops were willing to take me on ride alongs and show me what they did and i bit and i've been doing it ever since that's awesome yeah i like that i like that yeah. story um all right two more and i think yeah. we're, we're done got to get you back yeah, no problem that's all right uh if you can change anything about the police system or how the police system works what would it be um probably have two things yeah <laughs> all right this is your episode um, <laughs> my first one would be um that we would get everybody the best training we could get them before we put them on the street like just I just think about the things that I've learned in my career, what we know now about like bias awareness, you know, some of those different things yeah. and, and de-escalation, like that would have solved a lot of problems for yeah. a lot of people through the years. But, and, and even now, like I, I don't, I only know what we train. I can't guarantee that the cop in the next County or the next town has the same training, exactly. you know? And Which so, is- and that blows me away, you know, in the, in the context of like George Floyd and stuff, like we don't train like that. Like where, where does that come from? How does that stuff get into our profession? Mm-hmm. You know, and that really, bothers me but but i think if we could train people really well at the start like i think i think we could solve a lot of problems early on for people and then the other thing would just be i don't know how to fix this but in the whole criminal justice system um having more communication about how we use discretion i think um some of the things that we're seeing happen right now the police get blamed for a lot of things that aren't our problem. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the only thing we can do is get the bad guy to jail. Yeah. And then after that, it's, it's out of our hands. And so, you know, what happens at the prosecutor level, what yeah. happens at the judge, what happens with corrections, what mm-hmm. happens with anything else that happens is we, sorry folks, yeah. like we we're only responsible for this little piece, yeah. but then, you know, you've got all these other pieces of the system. And I, I wish at times there was a way we could, talk more candidly as decisions are made about that person's future about how to get them the right help. And I'm not talking about this always either from a perspective of man, the ink wasn't even dry on the paperwork and that guy's back on the street. I'm talking about like mental health and how can we really like help this person so that it helps our community or, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. And so kind of like what they're doing in drug court and some of those things, there are people, you know, I'll be honest with you. Like I've helped put away probably four or five really, evil people in my career. Like, like they're sexual predators and mm-hmm. they are bad, bad, bad people for anybody. But most people when they're sober 
and 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 when they're living the way they're supposed to live, are most of them are pretty good people who yeah. some of them made some mistakes. You know, and I think we need to not forget that in terms of how we try to help them post arrest. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Again, I don't have the answers, but, but <laughs> if we could spend some time on that, that'd be good. And then the last one was, have you ever felt like being an officer goes against who you are morally? No, I never have. I um, I was pretty lucky to be born into the family that I was born into. I think raised the way I was raised in terms of you know valuing hard work and respect and those kinds of things and so i think it i think it fits really well with my career choice um and i haven't ever had not that i can think of anyway anything that i've ever had to do that really i've had to make a professional decision of is today the day <laughs> right like am i going to disobey that boss or am i going to break that law right i've just never i've been fortunate to never have to be in those kinds of situations and so i feel i feel pretty good about that and that um, you know, who I am as a person aligns pretty well with, with the kind of law enforcement officer I am and who I want to be in the field. That's awesome. You know, I, yeah. it's, it's incredible. Thank you for making this time. Cause I, Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I would only imagine your job is very busy. <laughs> Super <can> important. <laughs> um, the, the fact that you made time just to sit down and, and chit chat with me, I think goes a long way because we, we've, maybe kind of talked about this or maybe through other parties. Like, I think that's something that just don't happen enough is just having dialogue and conversation. And you were on a podcast and you were just talking like, we don't necessarily have to find the solutions today, right? But if we can have those conversations and open, you know, relationships, I think that is one of the best ways to start. Like, I think yep. if we want to get the ball rolling in any right direction, yep. it starts with conversation. So yep. uh, I just appreciate you making time and absolutely uh, coming here today. And uh, anything else you want to say to the listeners since we have you? I think thanks to Joe Malone too for let us invade his space and uh, do this, but no, and I too think too, Dave, thanks for the, thanks for the opportunity. I mean, I, I, Man, if I could make a full-time job out of this, I would. <laughs> but, you know, then I got no frame of reference to talk about, right? But but I think you're right. I mean, I think – and that's – I don't know how to get that more into my agency and our community and our state. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, Iowa's still a great place to live. we got a lot of really great people here. Um, but it's it's where we go in terms of, like, you know, na neighbors don't know neighbors anymore, right? And, and those kinds of like, – it's the whole societal – decline right but but i think we can work hard in our corner of the world to make it a little better so we need to work hard to do that thanks right. thanks for thanks for listening to another episode i'll be back next monday but uh hey be safe out there in we'll these do. streets and uh we appreciate what you do thank, thank you, If you want me to read an ad for you or your business, just give me money. Okay, <laughs> I will say how great your product is. I'll call you a humanitarian. This season, I'm looking to get sponsorship, which just helps take this podcast up another level. Uh, there's a couple of different ways you can do it and a couple of different ways you can reach out to me. So you can go to my email, which is uh, comediandayday, D-A-Y-D-A-Y at Gmail. Or you can reach out to me through my link tree, which is link tr.ee slash daypeacecomedy. Uh, anything is appreciated. Everything is appreciated. Don't forget to laugh today. Peace.